You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 88 by Rudolf Steiner, translated by James Hines, entitled Concerning the Astral World and Devakan. This is Lecture 10.4, entitled The World of Spirit or Devakan, Part 4, given in Berlin on February 25, 1904. Today it is incumbent upon me to bring these lectures concerning the so-called Devakan plane or spirit land to an end. When you read in theosophical literature about Devakan, or the land of spiritual beings, the description you will find is that it is a region of peace, a region of blessedness. You are told that Devakan is a, quote, land of delight, close quote. Now, dear listeners, it is very easy to misunderstand such a description and imagine something entirely false from these words. It is clear that very many people do not know what the happiness of Devakan actually is. The vast majority of people seek happiness and peace in things that are simply not to be found in Devakan. Even the picture that people paint for themselves of paradise using religious pictures and ideas, using their imagination of the land of happiness and joy, even that is so very much attached to ideas and mental pictures of our immediate sensory reality. It is created using mental pictures taken from our bodily surroundings, images that we are not allowed to apply to the land of spiritual beings. What people hope for in terms of paradisiacal joys, what they call paradise derived from the sensory mental pictures, is found already in the fifth region of Kamaloka, the fifth region of the purging fire. And indeed, precisely with the goal of stripping away their addiction to sensual joys and sensual desires. For example, what American Indians imagined as a paradisiacal hunting ground where they could indulge all their desires to hunt, they find already in the fifth region of Kamaloka. This is precisely what human beings must be cleansed of before they can enter into the world of spirit. On the other hand, there are those who, when they hear that nothing of what we experience on earth as sensory reality is present in spirit land, say that spirit land is nothing other than an illusion, a kind of dream that we dream between two incarnations. Both these views need to be corrected. This will require that the concepts and mental pictures that we experience directly in reality be led over to entirely different and loftier mental pictures. We can acquire a corresponding idea of this higher reality, of what is actually meant with the concept of the land of joyful blessedness, the land of blissful happiness and spiritual satisfaction that we experience between two incarnations if we listen to what the disciples of the great masters can tell us based on their experience already in this life. Those who achieve initiation in this life have already experienced something of this heavenly bliss, of this true spiritual satisfaction through their glimpse into the spirit land. You will ask, quote, is there or 
Has there ever been something that can be called initiation? Were there really students in our Western culture who participated in this highest vision, which opens for us spirit land? Close quote. It has always been possible to receive initiation in secret schools, in occult schools. A stream of occult wisdom came to Europe in the 14th century. This stream, which is called Rosicrucian, was misunderstood by many. It must necessarily be misunderstood by all who come to know it only from the outside. Only those may come to know it who do so from within, whose view has been obtained through an esoteric training. When Christian Rosenkreutz brought the wisdom of the East to Europe, he founded schools in which students were brought up to the stage where vision in Devakan, vision of the higher secrets, became possible. Only those who have themselves acquired such schooling can say anything about it. None of the external research found in books can tell you anything of it. Until the year the Theosophical Society was founded, in 1875, absolutely nothing of these matters was spoken about, except in these secret places of instruction. Only since 1875 did the Masters of Wisdom feel the duty to convey more widely some of these deepest spiritual truths. Even today initiations still occur. They can take place only within spirit land, the region I described. Today every person to be initiated must arrive at these higher secrets, him or herself, on the plane of Devakan. This makes it necessary to give at least some idea of how a person feels and is transformed who receives initiation on the Devakanic plane. People who have experienced initiation are in a position to see those lofty beings I have described to you, who come from entirely different worlds, in order to enjoy their incarnation at first in Devakan, and then descend into the lower regions, into the three worlds. Those who achieve initiation then begin to acquire an entirely new faith, an entirely new vision. They have really become different persons. They behold with their spiritual eye, E-Y-E, what is not even present for most other people living in the same environment. Things the existence of which the others have not even a suspicion. Allow me to give a short outline of the confession of faith that those who are initiated make their own. This outline is already known to you in several different forms. Some part of all deeper truths has always found its way into the public arena and even propagated exoterically in the public consciousness. Those to be initiated acquire a higher view of what happens in our physical reality. They acquire this view by placing themselves outside this physical reality. During our life in the world of the senses, we are enclosed in our bodily organization and can see only with our eyes, hear with our ears, perceive through our other sense organs. We are dependent upon what our senses convey to us. This ends through the higher schooling that an initiate receives. As a beginning, the initiate sees before himself, I can only describe it like this, his own physical reality fully displayed. One sees oneself, just as one would see any other object in the immediate surroundings of our sensory reality. 
That is how we see our own physical bodily nature when we have been initiated. Our organism lies before us as our own corpse. But also we see our astral body, our desires, instincts, our entire life of desire based on the senses. And we then speak in terms of the Vedanta wisdom, quote, that is you, close quote. We see ourselves with complete objectivity, with all our faults, with all that we have achieved through the various incarnations. It is what was described to you as the passage through the gate of death that everyone to be initiated must pass through. What we usually see in the sense world around us, we see no more. We see in the world around us from the point of view of spirit land, not from the point of view of the senses. We see, too, in the world of instincts, in the world of kama, of passions, in the world where human drives are to be found. We see what brings people into conflict and discord, what brings them joy, what brings them pleasure in this physical reality. We look into these things the way a hiker would stand on a high mountain and look into the surrounding mountainous landscape. And because we have elevated ourselves above sensuality, Because we are surrounded by a world of pure spirit, for these reasons we see from the other side the beings of a spiritual nature and we perceive something of what is called divine wisdom. Divine wisdom itself is the father spirit of all religions. No one can behold him in his essential being, in his own form. The highest being remains unrevealed, even to opened spiritual eyes. But an initiate does get an idea of what creates and works in the world and is led before the creating divine forces. Then for the first time, the initiate speaks the word out of conviction, out of immediate intuition, the word that was previously taught to him by faith, quote, I am Brahman, close quote. When the initiate is led through the narrow portal where physical and astral life are displayed objectively, then the word of an initiating priest sounds forth, quote, To those who already have, much will be given, and from those who already have not will be taken that which they already have. Close quote. That is the verse of initiation heard at the first portal of initiation. You will find it also in the Bible, along with many other sayings taken from Egyptian priest wisdom. Those who already have are those for whom the Spirit has already awakened the ability to feel spiritually, sense spiritually. However, those who approach this portal and have no faith and no sense for the Spirit, those people will have their longing for spiritual knowledge taken away. Woe to those who come to this place unworthily, who have forced their way out of curiosity. A different voice sounds forth to them, which once again has a symbolic significance. We then experience the universal spirit, the universal soul. We human beings reflect upon sensory things. However, the spirit that lives in us, which we experience within ourselves as thoughts and forms the object of our reflection, that is the same as the wisdom out of which the world was formed. We could not know the world with its laws unless the world itself was formed from these very same spiritual laws. 
Theosophy teaches that what lives in the human being as spirit is co-essential with what lives in the great universe, with Mahat. Manas in the human being draws wisdom from Manas in the universe, from Mahat. Or are we to believe that the laws that we see at work in the heavens, according to which the heavenly bodies move, has significance only in our minds? Mahat of the starry sky is the intellectual or element of reason outside in the great world. And what you experience of it is manas, the intellectual or reason element in the small world. Now the universal spirit descends upon the one to be initiated. The initiating priest speaks the words, quote, This is my much-loved son, with whom I am well pleased. Close quote. The individual who is now initiated knows what the spirit of the world is. Then he can express his faith in the creative world spirit out of his own conviction and say, quote, I believe in the Divine Father Spirit, who made the spirit that is also called divine, who also made the bodily world, the earthly. Close quote. In the Christian profession of faith, it is stated thus, I believe in God, the Almighty Father, who created heaven and earth. And then one thing is clear to us, that in truth and reality, we have our origin from the same universal world spirit as we now encounter here in spirit land. We know that we have descended into the sensory physical world, but we also know that we have descended from divine worlds and from the spirit. We know that we have received the spiritual being within us from the heart of the Divine Father Spirit itself. We become aware of this as a real divine force, as something we experience and therefore have immediate certainty. We begin to acquire a new faith in humanity. Humanity becomes for us the only born Son, the Son concerning whom we say in our confession of faith, I believe in the divine origin of humanity, in the God in the human being itself, just as it is expressed in Egyptian priestly wisdom. Or we believe in the Christ in the human being, who has descended from heavenly worlds. And then it becomes clear to us that before this age of earthly development came to be, before this age in which we now live and in which we perceive through our senses, in which our sensual, sensory senses lead us to deeds, it becomes clear to us that before we descended into this sphere of the senses, we were in another purely spiritual sphere. Spiritual disciples have now come to know spirit land, and they know that this is the land in which human beings were located as only born sons of God. They know that the human being is born from virginal spiritual matter, Maria or Maya. And they know that the spirit man Christ is descended into the sensory world of matter. They know that this spirit man is contained in each one of us and is developed gradually through the various incarnations. They know that this spirit man lives surrounded by a sensory bodily nature, that is, in a physical body. The things of the external world work on our body in a sensory fashion. They form our eyes, our ears, and the other sense organs. We live within this bodily sensuality and allow the world to permeate us, as if through windows we look through our sense organs upon the external world. We are enclosed in sensory matter, 
and for this reason are limited by it. Christ who enters into human beings is pure and spiritual. He is virginal spiritual matter. Now he has descended into the condensed sensual sensory matter. Those who speak esoterically call this the waters or the sea. Thus we read in Genesis that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. This means that the Spirit hovered over matter. This matter is also called pontos pilatos in Greek, which literally means contracted or pulled together sea. The human being moved into this contracted sea, which has formed its organs. In this way, a being that was active in spirit land has become a being that receives impressions passively through sense organs from outside itself. The human being has become passive, a pontos pilatos. This is what distinguishes seeing in the spiritual world from seeing in the world of the senses. If we want to have an object before us in the spiritual world, then we first have a thought, and this thought is formed by the spirit in spirit land. That is, the human being finds the images for all creating in spirit land. In the sensory world we receive passively. We have all become passive beings, passive in condensed matter. This was the original confession of faith for the Egyptian priests. This is the symbol for Christ having descended to humanity, for his having taken on matter and passively suffered in the condensed pontos pilatos. In the course of time, this slipped into Christianity. Because the term pontos pilatos was fundamentally misunderstood, the misunderstood place in the Christian creed reads, quote, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Close quote, which is none other than the indicated place in the confessional creed of an Egyptian priest. The human being has become one who suffers, no longer active, but rather passive. This is the article of faith that signifies in an occult symbol the fact of God becoming human. Once those to be initiated have recognized what is said in these deep truths, then they look around at the objective sensory reality until they have become clear that they can once again descend into this sensuality in order to work in sensory reality out of duty and with devoted sacrifice of self. When they have advanced so far that they no longer seek to satisfy sensual drives but rather use these to work within the sensory world, then they are themselves initiates then they have the solid certainty that they can understand the universal justice prevailing in the world. Earlier they lived enclosed within the world of the senses, within the riddles of birth and death, of eternal life and of eternal becoming. Now they are clear that they are eternal, above birth and death. They see what is unchangeable, and at the same time the justice that rules the world, which we in theosophical language call karma. They have become wise to world justice. They can judge life and death, or as it is called by Egyptian initiates, birth and death. And now they believe in the lofty community of body-free spirits. We are separated only in the physical world. In Devakan we are a community of body-free spirits. 
The Christian confession of faith expresses this by saying, quote, I believe in the community of saints, close quote. The Christian confession of faith grew out of the esoteric confession of Egyptian initiates, so that it speaks an entirely esoteric language. It is in part a translation of misunderstood symbols from esoteric sayings that the one to be initiated received as immediate knowledge in the land of Devakan. Now through this description it will have become a little clearer to you what is meant by the land of delight and blessedness. It is the blessedness of the unlimited, of eternal activity. Why can all of what oppresses us in the physical world no longer depress us in Devakan? Devakan is not the land of blessed happiness because we experience there delights such as human beings desire and demand in the world of the senses. It is rather because there we are free of anything connected with the body, free from what is required for sensual desires. And we are also free of the limitations that exist because they work on us from outside ourselves. What limits us in the physical world is removed. What can cause us pain is no longer present. For how does pain arise? It arises when impressions are made on our physical body or our astral body. We set aside these bodies when we are in Devakan. The reason for pain and feelings of discomfort in the physical world has fallen away. Because no one can be egotistical anymore. No one can long for egotistical joys anymore. Because no one has an astral body anymore. We are free from anything that could oppress our personality. For this reason, Devakan is known as the land of delight, the land of blessedness. I have said that just here in the third region of Devakan, every kind of pain is revealed to us, every kind of groaning of creation, everything that we can observe that takes place here on the earth in terms of pain and suffering. What unfolds as passion or desire is revealed to us but we perceived it the same way we perceive objects here in the world of the senses. It is a perception that is not so strong, not so shrill as to cause us pain. Neither is it the same as when we touch or feel a hot object and are burned. In Devakan, we perceive without feeling egotistical pain or personal desire. We behold the totality of all pain, all suffering, and we stand as spiritual beings above it and feel that we have to work to mitigate or reduce this pain. We are entirely indifferent as to whether this pain belongs to us or to others. Our personality is stripped away. The pain is no longer personal. The cause of personal pain arising within us has fallen away. Because we are disembodied, we are free from all that could oppress us. For this reason, Devakan is called the land of delight. For this reason, the blessedness in Devakan must be described as incomparable to anything that happens here in sensory reality. Only those who, as initiates, have both had experiences here in a physical sensory incarnation and have received knowledge and wisdom from Devakan know what these, in quotes, delights signify. 
Everything that we are told about Devakan comes from the experiences and the immediate observations of such initiates who have learned how to be active themselves within spiritual existence. These have also learned that it is the greatest illusion to speak of life in Devakan between two incarnations as an illusion. That is the real illusion, to regard life in Devakan as an illusion, as a dream. And in fact all real life originates in Devakan. And only because it is the task of earthly existence to guide human beings in their spiritual activity down into the earthly world must Christ appear in a sensory incarnation in a human being. For this reason, according to Plato, the greatest of Greek philosophers, is the world soul laid out in the form of a cross through the universe and stretched over the earthly world body. Plato said this. It is a symbol that an initiate understands in its deepest significance. Thus, just as a master craftsman needs instruments, needs tools, so also does the spiritual world need our physical existence in order for the spiritual world to be the master builder of the physical body. For example, a hammer could never have come into existence without the influence of spiritual reflection. It could never be used by a being who had nothing more than physical forces and could not think. Likewise, the human being could never fulfill its task unless it again and again ascends to spirit land to acquire there the forces needed to work in the physical world. Human beings ascend into a country where they receive pure spirituality, where they learn how to use spiritual forces without those forces becoming passive in the world of the senses, where they learn to unfold their wings freely in their actions. Then they can once again be incarnated, suffering in the condensed matter of spiritual existence, in the pontos piletos. Human beings journey from incarnation to incarnation. Again and again they enter into the pontos piletos. Again and again spirit is crucified in matter. Theosophists can never become materialists, not in the least. They cannot see the whole of existence in the physical world. And if they are in a position to make their own observations in the land of spirit, they will come to the insight that asceticism is the enemy of reality. In spirit land we come to understand what the human being as a spiritual being has for a task. The earthly world in which we live is our abode for the time of our present evolution. And we should use what we acquire in spirit land for the good of this earthly world. Again and again we are equipped with new assignments between two incarnations so that we can work on this earth. Honored listeners, we have now journeyed through the regions of the three worlds. There are three worlds in which we live, the earthly world, the soul world or the astral world, and the spiritual world or Devakan. The human being lives here in this existence in all three worlds. In every sensory, physical human being, there lives a soul human being and a spiritual human being. Of course, physical human beings have consciousness only in the world of the senses, but the astral and spiritual human being works in them also. Soul and spirit are at work 
in every human being. Consciousness awakens between incarnations and kamaloka in the land of soul. Then we become seeing, we are awakened between incarnations according to our level of development, according to what we bring from our earthly incarnation. We awake in Devakan, the land of spirit, in order once again to return to the astral world, in order to clothe ourselves with astral matter and then return to the physical world. This is the path, the pilgrimage of the human spirit. The human being originates in the land of spirit. When human beings still lived in pure spirit land, they formed for themselves bodies originally made from virginal matter. Long ago another kind of life lived on the earth and preceded our earthly condition. Then human beings were still pure spirit. Only spiritual reality was present there. Then the human being descended into astral existence, not yet as far as physical reality, and was at that time still Adam Kadmon, that pure spirit in which the world of drives and desires was not yet present. Then came what is so well expressed in Genesis symbolically, where we read that Jehovah formed the human being out of a lump of earth and blew into him living breath. The spirit received condensed sensory matter, and at the same time all earthly existence became sensory physical reality. Until then the human being had been in a kind of subconsciousness, the wakeful consciousness that we have today, this understanding with which we weigh and consider, and with which we orient ourselves in the physical world, came to us only when we descended into the world of the senses. We received lower sensory reality simultaneously with our power to reason. Again, this is symbolically represented in Genesis as the serpent, which gave humanity its earthly power to reason. The deepest point in human evolution is when birth and death occur, when the immortal part of the human being must always pass through the door of death. This will be eliminated in the next epoch, when the human being will be an astral being only. Then the final epoch will come when the human being will have only a spiritual existence. Thus we learn from our observation of Devakan how everything in the world, large and small, is evolving. How all existence comes from the spirit and passes through sensory reality in order to ascend once again into spirit. Observing these higher spiritual regions shows us that what we call death, what we call passing away, is nothing more than a transient, almost illusory condition of a single world epoch. It is not something that can have duration. The conviction, the clarity, the knowledge that human beings have come from higher regions and that they will once again ascend to higher regions gives us strength so that gradually as we progress in theosophy we can feel and imagine what Paul, an initiate of early Christianity, felt and expressed with the words, quote, Death, where is your sting? Close quote. On the other hand, one should never feel contempt for earthly existence. Just as bees bring honey into the beehive, so are we to draw honey from the earthly world and carry it up into the spiritual world. However, we find our way properly 
only when we know which forces of our existence are fundamental. For this reason I have held these lectures on the region of Devakan. One thing alone could move me to hold these lectures, which I realize can easily be misunderstood. That is a sentence written by the author of the basic theosophical book titled Light on the Path, quote, and when you have recognized the truth, you are not allowed to keep it for yourself. Close quote. And those who feel themselves called to speak must speak without respect to how they are received. The call from the spiritual world is higher than anything else once we have perceived it. This call awakens in us a consciousness that is entirely different from any consciousness that we may know in the sensory world. Then, from our view of the land of spirit, we can make a verse of Solomon's, our motto, quote, Therefore I prayed for insight, and it was given to me. I called upon God, and the spirit of wisdom came to me. I treasure the truth higher than anything living in the kingdom of the senses around me. Close quote. A wise person treasures wisdom more highly than everything in the sensory kingdoms that exist all around him or her. Therefore, such a person will attempt to proclaim this wisdom. This should serve as a justification for what moved me to speak about this subtle region of existence, even though I know how these things can be misunderstood and how difficult it is to speak of these things in a language that is more or less understandable. But when one has heard this call, then one lets it sound forth in the sense of these words of Solomon's wisdom. Uh, And that is the end of lecture 10.4.